The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. This week we have an excellent show uh, for you guys. We're going to be talking about what other authors uh, we'd like to see writing stories in the Dresdenverse, um, as well as our new Facebook page, something that I know lots of you guys have wanted us to do for a long time, Uh, and then looking at chapters 17, 18, 19, and 20 of Grave Peril, Um, the third book in the Dresden Files series, as we continue our book club. So, uh, kicking off, let's go over to networking uh, and our question today is um, so Jim Butcher I don't think he ever has allowed anyone else to write within the Dresden verse uh, but if uh, with the Dresden verse kind of going on this bigger scale now um, if he was to start to invite other authors to write short stories or even uh, short kind of novellas uh, within the wider universe um, who would we want uh, on his on his list of invites? Um, who do you want, Rob? Um, I know I have an actual answer, but I'm going to give like a bit of a cheeky answer first, which is I'm going to say us, and that's only because when we started playing the Dresden RPG, you wrote like ninety pages of a campaign using the two characters we created. I did. <laughs> Which is impressive in itself, but I mean, we, we were like coming up with all these ideas and different story points that link back to like certain storylines within the Dresden universe, like the whole thing. Uh, I, remember, uh, I think, is it book eight, Proven Guilty? We had like some whole plot that was kind of the back end of that happening, like around in like Manchester, London, and how it was affecting yeah. the wider community. And, yeah, so us we can have we can even make up like different characters like uh Larry Preston, the wizard. Who's Larry Preston, the wizard? He's a private investigator from Lancashire who works with um, <laughs> who works with uh, the. Hey, I'm Larry Preston. <laughs> works with the police department in the area. Um, Smurfy. <laughs> um, Schmarren Smurfy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> shit. I'm out of light. Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if we, uh, so if if for whatever reason we miss the call from Jim. Who should be the backup writer? Um, I already forgotten how to pronounce his name. I, I mean, this is based on me reading like two pages of his work and the synopsis of the book before buying it. Um, ben, Ar- can't even friggin' say it. Aaron Aronovich, who wrote the Rivers of London series, which, from the two pages yeah, I read yeah. and the synopsis, it sounds very. It, it just sounds very Dresdeny, like you're introduced to uh, police constable Peter Grant, who works for the Metropolitan Police in London. Uh, yeah, you know, 
young officer in the police who I think becomes an apprentice wizard. I mean, I... that sounds about right. I think yeah. it's one of those series that um, always gets suggested alongside Dresden. Yeah, and so I, I can I definitely see it being transferable. I mean, like I say, I've not read much of it to really judge, but I think one of the things that drew me to it was apparently there's a Dresden Files Easter egg in there where um, they make reference to like a PI in Chicago. Okay, that's cool. Which I think's pretty pretty interesting. So I would like, I would like Ben name I can't pronounce to. Either either contribute a short story to it, or even collaborate with Jim to come up with like some kind of crossovery type story. If you fancy checking out Ben Aronovich, uh, I will put some links in our description because I feel a bit bad that we're if we're butchering his name. Um, <laughs> so I will definitely put some links out for you, for you guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had another one as well while I was trying to pronounce his name which is um, I don't know if you're familiar with Victoria Schwab Schwab Um, what's she done Um, she's done that book series uh, Vicious Um, what's the other one Darker Shades of Magic Uh, Vicious I okay so I've just quickly done done a google um and I definitely recognise Vicious. Um I think I recognise Shades of Magic. It's another one of those that I think I've seen around, uh, especially when I've gone to cons. Yeah. But, um, um I'm currently reading Vicious at the moment and I recommend it by the way. But uh I know her styles I really like her writing style, so I'd probably pick her to do some kind of weird Dresden Files short story. Awesome. Yeah, um, so my top pick, um, and I really wrapped my brains on this, because uh, my, my first go-to um, was maybe a little uh, a little generic, but I really like the idea of a, of a Stephen King story set in the Dresdenverse, um, especially like, I think we, we've met, we, we might have mentioned it a few times, but we're both fans of the Dark Tower. Oh yes. Um, so, uh, it's cool, like seeing how Stephen approaches fantasy, um, especially in I think it's in briefcases. There's like a, a Wild West Dresden story um, with I think it's Anastasia Lucio. Um, it would be really cool to get something Wild West Dresdeny with um, with Stephen King. I can see something there, but. Um, I obviously Stephen is uh, a little bit older and doesn't really do much of that sort of crossover stuff anymore, although he has in the past. Um, uh, I would also kick it down to Joe Hill, um, who is a fantastic yeah. author in his own right. Um, not taking that away from him one bit. Uh, absolutely love the Fireman Horns, um, Nosferatu. Uh, and a few others uh, of his, um, but no, my my next choice uh, is uh, Ben Yatsi Croshaw, uh, who we have mentioned before a few times. 
so uh, he's actually mentioned before uh, in various things that he's a fan of the Dresden Files. Um, and if you read Differently Morphous, uh, mm. which is um, a a British political comedy set in a in like a Cthulhu mythos world, I guess is the best way I can put it. Um, but it feels very Dresden-y. Um, there's a lot of like uh, magic realism and uh, and that sort of like feel to it. And I feel like Yatsi could do a really good, like funny tinged Dresden story, um, which has always been a big part of the Dresden Files. There's as much comedy as there is uh, mm. tragedy and drama. Um, so I definitely think that, that Yatsi could do something a little bit more on the funny side um, probably set in or around Britain um, I I would actually like to see him pick up um, oh my goodness I've forgotten the character's name but the the warden that's from England like a story there um, there's a there's like a very well spoken British warden who's not very like aggressive powered he's more like a researcher and stuff yeah. Um, is it called Giles? Know. I might make it up. <laughs> it might be. I can't confirm, sadly. Sorry? It might be, but I can't confirm. I know who you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I'm, I'm just want to get it so that we're not, uh, not throwing anyone off. <laughs> Um. <laughs> oh, I, I, so I was like, uh, Wardens in Battlegrounds, and the official Dresden Files wiki is, in Battlegrounds, the Wardens are key, um, are key characters. I mean, yeah. Cool. Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, 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 they're not wrong. Um. Anyway, he's one of Ramirez and Dresden's kind of like inner circle of, of fighters um, uh, alongside uh, Wild Bill and uh, Yuki, uh, Yuki Yoshimo. Um, but uh, it would be really, really cool to see uh, him just uh, doing, doing like a more like researchy, like putting the pieces together, investigative story written by Yatsu. I could really see that being a lot of fun. And yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it for me. Did you have anyone else that you want to throw in? Um, I'm not sure how it would work, but I wouldn't mind someone like Neil Gaiman based on uh, Neverwhere. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Gaiman would do, would do a great job. Um, it would be really cool to see uh, a couple of, like, our favourite comic book writers, uh, obviously like the Dresden Files series has a lot of comic book adaptations. Um, so it'd be cool to see some writers have a crack at it. Um, keep it far away from Grant Morrison because he'll probably think that it's sapping his magical power or something. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, someone like uh, Kieran Gillen uh, would be really good. Um I'm trying to think who else uh, who's done something recently that really blew me away. 
Um, is it Kieran Gillen who's doing the X-Men stuff at the moment? The Dawn of X stuff? I'm not sure, but he does <laughs> stuff, uh, whoever is writing it, um, I feel really bad. I want to make sure that we're crediting all the right people. Is it, is it Jonathan um, So. Yes, Jonathan Hickman. I would love to see a Jonathan Hickman Dresden Files because uh, a lot of what Jonathan Hickman does is he does these like um, pages of information within the books that you can kind of decipher and, and often have like there's more to them than that meets the eye. It's, it's, it's a bit hard to explain if you've not read one of his books, but um, there'll be like charts and stuff explaining things within the world of whatever Hickman's writing about. And you'll be able to like discern more of what's going on. Um, I know that one of the things most recently is that they, they detailed the Summers household in the X-Men, uh, like Scott Summers, Cyclops. Mm. Um, and one of the like chambers had it so that Jean Grey, Cyclops and uh, Logan's like bedrooms were all connected. And the idea being that it was implying that they're in like a polyamorous relationship, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, and there's there's like little things like that, and it'd be really cool to see like um, if if Hitman did like a, a secret society in the Dresden Files, like what sort of uh, cool like codes and stuff would he would he like hide in there? Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, one other thing that I was going to throw in as well, uh, it would be really cool just to get a fan fiction compilation book, like uh, edited or curated by Jim. Yeah, I mean that would be pretty cool as well because if only for for it giving exposure and stuff to relatively smaller unknown folk. Yeah, the, there is so much great fan work out there for the Dresden Files. I I really think that 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 would be a great way to give back to the community. Um, maybe like a Paranet book, yeah. you could call it something like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like, uh, I think they called it in the role playing game the Paranet Papers. Um, I I could see that as like a fan made, like uh, or a fan com- uh, collection. Um, so yeah, cool. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to just quickly talk about was that uh, we have a new Facebook group. Um. I know that uh, some people have been really crying out for this. Other people uh, maybe like that we've we've been mostly Twitter-based so far, and that's not going to change one bit. Um, Rob manages a lot of our Twitter activity, and uh, he is still super dedicated to that. And um, I'd say, right, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I need a few more reminders at the moment because I'm also working towards a master's alongside this. So it's become a bit, not yeah. lowered down my priorities, but it's not the biggest priority at the moment for me. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Uh, so um, I am also helping out a bit more or trying to help out a little bit more with Twitter and stuff. But uh, also with Facebook, what we wanted to do is kind of give you guys more ways to reach out to us. Um, so now you can find us at, at Paranet Podcast on Facebook. Um, it's super duper easy to find us. Uh, we're also like facebook.com slash Podcast. So um, you can just find us 
uh, yeah, just su- uh, it, as easily as you could find us on Twitter, at least. Um, get in there. Uh, at the moment, we've got uh, a lot of support from uh, kind of friends and a couple of like family members and stuff like that. We'd love to get more fans from around the world kind of involved in there. Um, and we're going to start using both Facebook and Twitter to host stuff like competitions, um, get a bit more kind of like uh, questions and stuff. So one of the things that me and Rob are really aware of is that obviously we've had two big Dresden Files books that have come out this year. We're not going to get another one for maybe a little while. Uh, so we want to do a couple more specials and things like that when we've got time to. Um, so we'd really like to get more kind of community involvement and uh, questions from you guys that you'd like us to cover on the podcast and stuff. Uh, the other thing is you can message uh, on the Dresden Files page, uh, on the Parent Podcast page, um, and either me or Rob or both of us, if you're very lucky, uh, will get back to you. Uh, and you can you can chat with us about your theories or what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast what you'd love us to change. Uh, we got some really good feedback recently about kind of like uh, sound levels and stuff like that. Um, and that's something that, that I'm looking into as I, as I edit. Um, so if there's, if you love our podcast, but want to want to see uh, something changing it, then get in contact uh, and become part of our community. Uh, we'd love, we'd really love to share it with, with as many people as possible. And it's already been crazy. The number of people that we've got, as part of this this great community. Hell yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to throw in on that, Rob? Um not particularly. I think you hit every uh point that I could think of. I think I'm a bit like um I'm I'm a bit like the machine gun of hitting points in that I just it's more of a spray and pray waffle, whereas I feel like you're more like a sniper. Um, <laughs> Interesting when it comes to our, our like. <laughs> um. Okay. Cool. So, uh, the that uh, finishes power networking. Uh, and takes us over to the Dresden Files Book Club. And we are continuing with Grave Peril. I can't say it any other way than that. Um, I I do try to say it normally, and it just comes out as Grave Peril. Um, Because, yeah. Uh, And uh, first up, we have Last Time on the Dresden Files. Uh, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, we kind of talked about how this was um, connective tissue chapters uh, a little bit. Um, so uh, we see that Harry uh, looks over uh, Malone, who was one of Murphy's dudes uh, in Special Investigations. Uh, unfortunately, he seems to have been uh, attacked in some way, causing him to laugh maniacally. Uh, Harry used his wizard sight and saw that he had some sort of horrible um, kind of uh, barbed wire through him, similar to Angela Hagglethorn. Uh, Harry pulled it out, but then found that it was kind of going into himself. Uh, He was like freaking out 
uh, and then Murphy came in and helped him, and Harry saw Murphy through his wizard sight for the first time, um, with eyes of living flame and a blazing sword in her hand, shining brightly with radiant light and anger. Um, Murphy helps Harry out, uh, and Harry found, uh, vows to find the culprit, uh, referred to as the Nightmare, and to kill it. Murph comments on how Dresden stared at her when she entered the, the room, uh, asking him what he saw, and he does not tell her. Uh, Harry and Michael kind of quickly uh, f- uh, fill each other in um, on what they've they've learnt, um, and then Susan and Harry discuss Leonard Kravos, a magic user, a sorcerer that Harry and Michael arrested on a previous case. Susan's looking to pursue the details for an article she's working on. Uh, Harry then consults Bob, who is reluctant to help, uh, and uh, requests. Uh, oh God! Uh, consulting Bob, who is reluctant to help, uh, Bob requests a ride in Dresden's head the next time he's with Susan. Uh, Harry refuses, so uh, and instead blackmails Bob, mentioning the trouble that he's in with the Winter Queen, Mab. Uh, focusing on the barbed wire spell tearing up ghosts and bypassing thresholds Bob urges Harry to leave it alone and maybe take a holiday leave Chicago it's the wise thing to do Uh, knocking over into chapter 15 uh, Bob and Dresden uh, continue talking about the case uh, based on how the nightmare is able to pass over the threshold of the Malone's house uh, this must mean that it is an extremely powerful being and maybe out of Dresden's weight class. Uh, they determine that it can't uh, be a ghost. Um, they determine that while it is, it can't be a ghost, an old one since there are no creatures that can cross uh, a threshold without leaving a chunk of their power at the door, considering that it could also pass bypass Dresden's bracelet uh, of protection that he gave to Lydia. Um so, okay, they basically definitely determined it can't be a ghost. Um, and Harry orders Bob to hit the streets and try and find Lydia uh, inside, like working alongside Mr. I don't think it's quite possession. It's kind of just that Bob kind of inhabits around Mr. Um, as they, they go uh, through the streets. Um, chapter 16, uh, we get a little bit of action as Dresden starts searching for Lydia to determine uh, what's going on with her. Um, he uses a magic circle to track the bracelet. Um, and uh, he is then, he then finds her in a rundown garage in the back of a parked van. Harry approaches slowly and uh, works out at the last minute that he is in a trap. He is then attacked by the Hamiltons, uh, Kyle and Kelly. Um, I like to call them Barbie and Ken. Uh, Barbie and Ken then uh, fight them, uh, fight him again in their tennis outfits, which seems to be a running thing for them. Uh, and Kelly gets some of her like super vampire saliva on Dresden, uh, which uh, knocks him kind of into like a drug-addled state. Uh, the building uh, around them starts to collapse as Harry just starts blasting kind of wildly. The vampires retreat in the van, vowing that Dresden will pay, and Dresden is left spaced out, drugged up, 
in the middle of a rough neighborhood in Chicago. And that is where we start today. Rob, do you want to take it away? Yes, I will. Chapter 17. He doesn't remember how, but Harry gets home. And he's all, you know, goofy and shit from all this vampire saliva. Um, the descriptions of it is quite similar to the previous chapter, where it kind of sounds a bit like a narcotic. Um, he tries to kind of keep it together, but ultimately passes out. And we have a little dream sequence here of the night him, Michael, and uh, S.I. went after the um, sorcerer, Leonard Kravos. And Kravos is summoning this big-ass demon. Everything starts going wrong. Like It's not the way Harry remembers it. Everyone starts to die pretty gruesomely. Um, mm -hmm. And this thing like goes after Harry as well. And Harry, I think Harry even acknowledges in the dream that this isn't right. This isn't how it happened. And the demon starts mocking him and starts biting down on Harry. And it's it's kind of similar, described quite similarly to the um, uh, the barbed wire with Malone, like ripping in, into chunks of flesh and all that kind of stuff, uh, taking out chunks of his soul. Um, and then like a big eight kilo tomcat appears and starts batting him across the face and you hear a voice say like telling him to wake up and it turns out that you know that that's bob and mister but either way harry wakes up and you know dives into a magic circle he's pretty um shaken by this he wakes bob up and bob's like yeah i i know i've been trying to wake you up um yeah so harry like in the next chapter chapter 18 harry and bob start having more again a bit of a discussion about this kind of thing and Bob's figured it out in that it's the demon that was uh, destroyed by Michael's uh, sword um, has created like a demonic ghost kind of thing, which I've already forgotten if it's like bonded with Kravos in a weird way or if Kravos is using just the ghost. I So I think it is its own thing. Yeah. Uh... But, yeah, I'm not sure where Kravos fits into it yet. I no, don't think it really says. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he does fit. I mean, if, if it's not mentioned here, then I'm getting a bit of ahead of myself. So I apologise. Um, well, damn it, Rob. <laughs> so, oh, well. Uh, basically, the demon is out for revenge. And something that Harry notices is that when it took a bite out of him and pulled off a chunk of his soul, it tore off like a large portion of his power. And Bob mentions, oh, you know, like, don't worry too much. Like your power will come back in a few days, or months, years, or a decade, or decades, a few hundred years. Um, I mean, I guess the thing to take away from it is losing this amount of power isn't a permanent thing, but it does take time for it to kind of grow back and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, Harry realizing that he can no longer protect himself or his friends as well as he could and realising what the demon is doing, it's going after those that were involved in the case, he tries to contact Murphy um, he runs down to the station and it's all revealed that, you know, like uh, or when, oh, I forgot to mention when he calls Murphy there's a bit of a, not a scuffle but she she's like, ugh, what are you doing? You called me up like five minutes ago saying you're coming this way, are you coming or not? and, and he's just like, what? what? But yeah, in any case, yeah. 
he runs down to SI. Um, and before he gets to Murphy's office, I remember him checking in, and it, it's quite amusing in how he does it. He just kind of runs in. He's like, hey, have you seen anyone come in who looks like me? And everyone's just kind of like, uh, yeah. You're a wizard. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he grabs uh, Rudy and Schoolings, and they go to confront the demon, and it's revealed that the demon is uh, taking the form of Dresden on the night like that the demon was destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And it's... Huh. I like the way it's describing it, because it describes it as it looked like he was giving Murphy a brain massage. <laughs> and... I, I I don't know about you, but like every now and then I run up to like my fiance and I just start squeezing her head and I shout brain massage. So it reminded me of that. Um, that that yeah, might like... be a new thing. Uh... <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but either way, the, the demon's giving her a brain massage in the guise of Harry, which is it used like their trust and their friendship to get close to her. Um, and it's an attempt at torture, not torturing her through the pleasure of the massage, but it's kind of messing around with her mind through magic and all that kind of stuff, as you'd expect. Um, Harry rushes in and, you know, he's like... massage! No! (laughs) (laughs) Harry runs in and is like, uh, you get away from her now, you you, you bummer. And this thing is like, basically kind of ignores him. It knows it's taken a chunk of Harry's power and knows that there's not much Harry can do. And it kind of retreats, being like, I'll be back for you soon, Dresden. And then it buggers off. Um, Harry runs up to Murphy, and she's... And I can't remember now if I'm confusing this with another piece of media that I was reading at the time. But I think it describes like her condition as being quite similar to being in a coma. And if I'm confusing this with the other book I'm reading, I do apologise. Um, that sounds about right. Like It's basically like she's not... She's like lost in thought, kind of yeah. thing. Like she's like uh, a bit of like a vegetative state. Yeah, like a bit glazed over, I guess. But um, either way, Harry tries to do the soul gaze with Murphy, but nothing happens. She's not quite there at home. Um, and before before leaving, Harry um, well, actually, not before leaving, uh, Harry calls Michael and can't get through. Wor- worried about the demon's going to go after Michael and his family. He decides, you know, I'm going to go over there now. But before doing this, he asks uh, Stallings to get everything that Kravath's had that has been put away in evidence. Um, he also puts Murphy to sleep, so she's not doesn't get more disturbed or anything like that. And I, I'm sure he puts her in a magic circle as well, or sets her up with a magic circle, so it can't happen again. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And this leads into chapter twenty, where. Harry finally gets over to Michael's house to warn him. Kind of gives him a rundown, but I quite like this scene because Harry, like Michael opens the door and he's just holding a baby, like one of his children. And I, I just love how calm Michael is. Like Harry's like, oh, it, th- this is all happening. Everything's gone to shit. And Michael's just like, how do I, if, if, how do I know you're not just the demon pretending to be Harry trying to get in? And Harry's just like, well, I wouldn't want to come in anyway because your wife will kill me. Gouge my eyes out. And <laughs> Michael's just like, uh, you better come in. <laughs> Which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he kind of relays all the information to 
uh, what's his name, Michael, um, and they kind of pick up on Charity isn't home yet, so Father Forthill comes over to look after the rest of the kids while they go to the grocery store to try and find Charity. Um, and again, they go into the grocery grocery store and Michael's like, I'll look around and you do some detecting. And Harry just runs up to the store clerk and is like, have you seen a guy who looks like me come in here and pick up some women? And the, the, the clerk's just like, what? Um, yeah, and he kind of has to, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not bribe or pay this person to give him the information. It's kind of a, the, the person doesn't really understand what's going on and thinks that Harry's got a twin brother who's just in a bit of trouble with his friend's wife. Um, yeah, but either way, he get he gets the scoop from them that you know they they headed out the store, turned left or whatever it is. So Harry goes out the store and he sees evil demon Harry like leading Charity into the Graceland Cemetery. Um, he's calling he's calling for Michael to get over and he he for a moment he's like I I'm gonna go at it alone put an end to this, but he hesitates because he's tired. He doesn't have anywhere near the amount of power that he did because this demonic force has just stolen all of it. And that did we, is... Did we skip over that? Skip over what? The, like, that he's had his powers, his, his powers taken from him. I, th- I think I worded it differently. Like, that okay. he took a chunk of his, like, a chunk of his power, so he's a bit not as cool. strong as he was. But, um, yeah, and that's kind of where we leave chapter 20 with a massive cliffhanger. Yes. Uh, classic end of chapter Dresden Files. Yep. Awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, these four chapters. Um, I like... There were there were a little bits, uh, especially with the the scene with Murphy that I remembered the scene, but I didn't remember much of how it was written and stuff. And mm. um, there's little nods to it, even in the most recent Dresden books. Um, those of you that have read it will know what I'm talking about. Um, quite an interesting point that I forgot to mention there, which is kind of going to that, and I'm going to try and mention it about spoiling anything but there's um i think just before harry leaves the police station rude uh rudolph talks to him and he's like yeah you know i i don't know if you're a if you're a con man or not but if anything happens to murphy if anything bad happens to her i'll kill you and harry is just like well if anything bad happens to her i'll let you yeah and that's quite Um... quite haunting reading it now um, but yeah, I, I found that quite interesting because th- there's very little I remember of Rudolph's characters in the early books apart from he's still a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, again, like, we, we I keep saying it, but it is really rewarding to go back through this series because Jim Butcher is great at plant and payoff and these little, like, head nods throughout. Um which is, uh, yeah, awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I so I, I really enjoyed um, that. And then um, 
Harry getting like a bit of the fear put into him. Like I think we we have already said that this is one of the darker Dresden Files books, and we saw that again here uh, in in a lot of different ways. Um, another bit that that I really like was uh, as Michael and Harry are getting ready to leave. Harry's like, "But what are you going to do about about the other kids in the house?" And there's a knock at the door, and Father Forthill is there. Uh, and he's like, Michael, I'm sorry to trouble you at this hour, but my car broke down a few blocks away, and you're the only person I know in the neighborhood. Oh, man. Uh, and there's, there's just a great like moment from Harry of just being like, well, I guess that's part of the perks of uh, being a knight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- that that's that's quite a funny little bit. Um, and then, yeah, like, there's something about that scene where Harry and Michael are like um, in the grocery store looking for charity and Michael's like in all his like nightly shit. Um, and the, I don't know, like it's something I really like about magic realism where I can just really picture like it's, it's late on like a Friday night or whenever. And, uh, and like just being in, like a corner shop, uh, just buying like buying some milk or something, and then these two like crazed people running in, being like, "We we have to fight the the demons and and shit and and like how that would." I I, I could just, it's just very vivid for me. I think it's really well described, and I love that the cashier is like, "Of course I'll help you, but what's in it for me?" Uh, <laughs> Um, which is great. Uh, yeah, I think that's... How did you find it? I really enjoyed these chapters, especially the um, the whole scene with Murphy, because I think yeah. when I first read it, I remember... I think there were two points where I messaged you being the bit where the demon takes a chunk of his power and it depowers him for like pretty much the rest of the book, which is... yeah. An interesting move, I think, and one that I really enjoyed because I thought it just put. I know because I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's not a massive jump in in his power between this book and the previous book, but I mean, that it, it it took away enough of his power to make him. I know not as resourceful, I guess, or reliant on magic as he would be. Usually. I think, I think in the last two books, even when he's been like tired which is normally what they they say like oh yeah, yeah like i'm getting really tired now and i can't do as much magic um he's always been able to pull some really like heavy spell casting out of the bag yeah. um and it's kind of cool for jim to be like yeah he's not got that this time uh mm-hmm. he's gonna have to find another way i, th- I think um, especially with the last two books quite prior to it, it, it it's something different and i feel it just made everything feel a lot more dangerous and deadly like what he's up against because up, up to this Definitely. point you've had like a slightly evil sorcerer who's kind of a dark version of Dresden I guess and you've had like the loop guru and all the werewolf fiasco so I feel mm-hmm. this this put things I know like more of an more of a serious threat by comparison I think like this, this is the dark one of the darker books and I think that that's this is part of it is that 
not only is the world around Dresden darker, but his outlook as well becomes darker because there's less that he can physically do or, or magically do, I guess. And I think the other bit where I messaged you a few years ago when I first read it was when um, like the demon's disguised as, as Harry and is attacking Murph. And yeah. I just remember at the time being like, oh my god. And that's partly because like we've had like the last two books of them like trusting each other, then not trusting each other, trusting each other again and not trusting each other, and Harry being arrested by her like twice. And mm-hmm. from the start of this book, they're already at I know you could already tell they're already at a different place with their trust and their friendship. And I feel this puts it a bit more into jeopardy. I mean I think come the end of the book and the next book, she's still reeling from it, if I remember right. She's still like Yeah. Like really um, shaking from it. Like like the whole magical world is just again, like what we were saying, it's more everything's darker in this book, and I feel that kind of shows in the next maybe in the next book and maybe the one after where Murph has a few interactions with the magical world and is a bit more shaken by it or hesitant to really interact. Yeah, I, I think it's almost like by the end of Full Moon, it felt it felt a little bit like Murphy was like, okay, I get this now. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Grave Peril is straight in with like, uh, you don't know how bad it can get with uh with this and um there is something definitely there about how murphy has opened herself up to harry uh with trust um and this demon is playing on that trust and that weakness that that creates um in some ways i i think i would have taken a bit more time to reach this point if i was jim but i i also get exactly why this this was a great place to do it, um, but yeah, it's it's all about Murphy has has created a vulnerability in trusting Dresden, and that vulnerability is immediately being shown, um, and and it's that knock on effect of like uh, if Harry brings someone else into the magical world, or even just brings them along on what he's doing, he is then in part responsible for whatever happens to them and uh like murphy and michael were just along for the ride on the kravos thing i mean michael's kind of got more agency like he, he kind of has been doing this thing for a while so he knows the risks a bit more um but harry led them into a fight and now because of that they are both threatened yeah um and I think it's also a bit of Jim saying like, oh, okay, so you want to know why Michael didn't appear in the last couple of books? This is why Michael didn't appear in the last couple of books because so- someone might have got to him, someone might have got to his family, someone might have injured Charity. And this is also why Michael is not going to be appearing in every single book because Dresden does not want to get him hurt constantly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I think it, it's it's really interesting, and the Dresden Files constantly what kind of walks the line of uh, Harry being like a, a loner because 
I'll learn it through circumstance, not necessarily through choice. Um, and what that means to him, what that means kind of psychologically. Um, and then the power that his friends bring to the table. I mean, dealing with such horrible things in the world, even like murder and uh, like like psychopaths and drugs and all this, one of the greatest powers to fall back on is, is friendship and companionship. And it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword because it's like, oh, bring them along, they'll help, they'll, they'll uh, help you joke about it. Like Michael joking about, um, oh, Harry, like, how do I know you're, how do I know you're the real Harry kind of thing? Mm. Um, it shows like the power that, that the friendship has uh, but also then bringing someone else in creates that vulnerability. So it's all it's all like double edged. Um, and time and time again, we see in the Dresden Files, the people around Harry who might not be as strong or as powerful being put on the front lines and how that messes with them. And not just like an immediate, oh, yeah, like Murphy had a bruise Um like there are people who get lasting scars. There are people whose lives are changed permanently. I mean, we'll get to that later on in the series, but Harry Dresden being in your life is both an awesome and cool thing. And one of the worst possible things that could happen to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think this is a great first kind of foray into, into all of that. I agree. <laughs> I realise I just waffled a lot. That is um, fun. That's what you're here for. <laughs> so we talked about uh, Deep Harry and Dresden. I guess we've kind of talked about Harry dealing with fear. Um, yeah. But did, how did you find that, that sequence where he like runs down to the basement and locks himself in a magic circle? I quite... I found it interesting at the time because kind of going back to what I was saying earlier with um you know compa- compared to the first two books this very early on established itself as more of a threat and I mean e- even when he was up against the uh, Luke grew I feel I feel like y- you know he's gonna be fine if that makes sense mm-hmm. with, with this the whole taking a chunk of his soul depowering a bit a bit you don't know if that's going to be permanent, I feel. At least I remember thinking at the time, like, I'm fine with him being depowered because then it's... Because we already meet him as an established detective and all that kind of stuff in the first book. He's already got, like, a skill set and all that kind of thing. I mean, albeit, albeit he's not as powerful as he is later in the books, but, I mean, for that reason, I was fine with him being depowered. But, uh... I think him immediately waking up and going straight into a magic circle for protection is in character, for one, and mm-hmm. is very interesting to show a protagonist I know, like that vulnerable. Especially yes. at the point where he, he still doesn't know what he's fighting or what he's up against. Yes. I completely agree. Um, I I... I can definitely see um, from grave peril there. There could be 
there could have been a world where Jim Butcher went down the route of Harry slowly becoming less powerful mm-hmm. um, and having to use people more and, and things like that and go more down the investigative route. Yeah, It's not the way he went. Um, and I think that's because Jim Butcher can put on one hell of a fireworks show when it comes to fight scenes and magic and um, and an incredible universe full of, of really big characters. Um, but there, I could, I definitely felt like I could see that world uh, where Harry was like having to scramble to, to deal with big threats when he had nothing like, yeah, very, very cool. Um, yeah, I, I really think that that, that covers it. Um, there was, okay. So there was one last thing that I want to talk about, which was a really kind of telling moment, I guess, where Dresden talks about how if he was going after Michael, he would go after Michael's kids and charity. Yeah. Not Michael. Um, and I don't know. It, it it felt a bit like Batman being like, I have a plan to take out every member of the Justice League if I need to. I always keep some kryptonite back with me. Yeah, um, and I don't know. It, it it just gave me a moment of being like, these guys are friends, but holy shit, they could be really bad enemies if, if things turned. Definitely. Um, and I think that that's something that even in the most recent books we've kind of seen like Harry is not as lawful good, to use the D&D term, as yeah. the Knights of the Cross and there is always a, a slight feeling of Harry could they could end up on, on different sides one day mm. um, if if someone gets to Harry or if Harry falls too far. Um, and that's definitely something that I think Jim wants to explore um, in what he's written so far. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I think that's about it. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in on, the, on these chapters? Um, just one more thing, which was uh, Father Forthill appearing at Michael's house. And I feel this is touched upon probably later in the book, if not the rest of the series that the Knights of the Cross appear in, but how they always are like, they're always where they need to be, I think is the phrase that's used. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's our first kind of glimpse of it here in that, like Michael knows he should be aiding uh, Harry but he hesitates because he's got, you know, all the children to look after. And then Fort Hill just appears being like, my car's broken down and I just happen to be in the area. <laughs> I mean, you can, it's it's weird because you can see it in two ways. And I think initially when I read the book, I, I very much took it as, oh, what a fucking coincidence. Whereas, <laughs> <laughs> whereas this time round, knowing the Knights of the Cross and all that kind of stuff, like I say, there's, I can't remember, it might have been um, Skin Game, where Harry was thinking of recruiting uh, Sonya 
to do whatever it was. Um, but there's there's reports of him being in like Israel or somewhere like that, and he comments on how well the Knights of the Cross are always where they need to be. So I guess I guess that's that. And I don't know. It is one, and I think in book five, when the Knights of the Cross appear again, like because I think in the next book, like you say, there's mention of like you you have that kind of Avengers post Avengers problem where it's like, oh, how come how come he's not helping Harry out in this book? And it very yeah. much from the start kicks off with like, oh yeah, Michael's away on other business at the moment or something like that. A bit of a throwaway line. And in the next book, Michael appears. I book five, I mean, Michael appears again, and I think there's the line where like Harry is like, "Oh, how how did you know I was here? What you were do? What you doing here?" And he's like, "I didn't know you were here. I just know this is where I needed to be." Yeah, and it's um, it's always that kind of question and crisis of faith. And I, I think it's in changes. There's also a moment where Harry. Uh, is in like is in a situation where he's basically he's he he loses um, yeah. and his back's against the wall and he's like a, a kind of a, a, in like a mortal peril situation. I don't want to give anything away, but again, like stuff's like falling down around him and stuff. And then one of the knights appears by his side, and it's like I knew I needed to be here. Hi Dresden. <laughs> I mean, uh, you could chalk it up I, I, as a kind of it is it is bloody convenient, but here's 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 why it's a perfect excuse kind of thing. But I I, I like it as a way that like the whole like he moves in mysterious ways kind yeah, of because like, I feel it like the the way it's been done as well. It could very much easily be like a, a Deus Ex Machina kind of thing. In that, oh, everything's about to be fucked, and then suddenly Knight of the Cross appears and sorts it all out for him. But I like how that's not the case. Like I just mentioned with uh, Skin Game, where like his his go to person was going to be Sonya, and <laughs> there's like a news report on TV which you can see like the blurred image of something of like Sonya just holding his sword and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah. sure. Sonya's in like overseas doing other business. I guess it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> and it, for me, it never feels like a Knight of the Cross being there is a guaranteed win. It's yeah. just like, um, I guess, like a thumb on a thumb on the cosmic scales, a little like. Yeah, because uh, I, I think with this book, especially, it's probably because it's the first appearance, and as as we know, the scale ramps up in each book a bit. And I, I feel yeah. by, the, by the next time we're introduced to Michael again, I feel they kind of balance his power a lot more. Whereas in this, he feels like I know everything. Everything about his appearance in this, I absolutely love. But then by the next appearance, he's very much a kind of bit like a massive exaggeration here. But it will be like he goes to like swing at someone and drops his sword or just falls over, rolls a one, I guess, fumbles. Um, like it's not quite like that but it feels very much more balanced i guess like it it, it doesn't feel like he's definitely going to fuck sharp yeah i and not to keep bringing it back to to 
hero like superhero comics and stuff but i do get a bit of a like dresden is batman and and michael can be quite supermanish yeah uh, here. like um it feels a little bit like there's there's nothing to fear while michael's around um <laughs> but by the time we get to his next appearance is it death masks i think so yeah um michael they're dealing with enemies that have more experience with the Knights of the Cross, and it's like, oh yeah, there are actually a lot of ways to deal with this guy. Uh, and it's a bit like if Superman goes up against the Riddler or Bane or someone like that who is not used to dealing with him, um, Superman absolutely wrecks house. But then if Lex Luthor's in the picture and there's friggin' lead walls everywhere and uh, m- spellcasters and kryptonite uh all at play then superman is wrecked (laughs) um and and we kind of see that later on down down the line definitely um yeah i think that that pretty much i is is there anything else you want to throw in on that not that i can think of other than i'm very excited for the next couple of chapters me too um it just ramps up from here uh, yeah. That that's to to everyone really. Um, in Grave Peril is is a great book, and there is a reason why a lot of people do say to start with it. Um, we, we've talked about that in the past, anyway, uh, and yeah. we'll probably talk about it towards the end of the book as well. Why we do or don't think that that's a good idea. Um, so yeah, Rob, do you want to just take us out? Uh, yeah. Um, as always, thank you so much for the support. We've just crossed. Uh, 2,300 downloads thanks to the uh, Battleground spoiler special episode um, we hope you enjoyed it I'm, we apologise but not really if it was a bit long um, <laughs> yeah um, yeah. next week we'll be covering chapters 21 to 24 of Grave Peril so uh, do join us for that because I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun um, yeah check us out on a uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Feel free to comment. Feel free to email. Uh, tell us we're doing a good job. Tell us we're doing a bad job. All, you know, all criticism, criticism. We'll accept it. So, come at us. Um, and as always, share, follow, and subscribe. Crack open a can of Coke because you've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.